Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty, who recently helped us buy and sell a home. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're looking for a home, if you're buying, if you're selling, if you're building, or even if you're looking for investment property, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. Go to wickrealty.com to learn more. That's W-I-E-C-K realty.com. Today's guest is Rachel Edwards. Rachel is a local artist, and the first time I heard about her was actually on this podcast. It was when my guest Caroline Neese, who is owner of Cerulean Gallery, was on the show back in October of 2017, and she mentioned Rachel as her endorsement. So she talked about Rachel's Back Alley Gallery show that had happened that summer, two years ago. Well, the next spring after that, I met Rachel when she was working on her big mural inside at Six Car, another sponsor of the show. And then I went to last summer's Back Alley Gallery show that, that she hosted. So I keep running into Rachel. She's She's got a huge connection to the podcast. And after going to that show, I realized what all the fuss was about. She is such a great artist. She's hosting another one of these unique shows this weekend, her Back Alley Gallery. It's Saturday, June 29th. So I figured it was time to have her on the show herself to talk about her career, to talk about growing up the child of professional jazz musicians, and how Amarillo continues to inspire her work. So here's Rachel Edwards. Rachel Edwards, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I so it. I, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I know that we've got a number of things that I want to talk about, but mm-hmm. before we get to that point, I'd like to just hear a little bit about your story, how you ended up here in Amarillo in the first place. Actually, I've always been here. So both of my parents were jazz musicians and okay. both of them here for years, and I was just here from birth. That's that's not a typical, uh, this is why my parents came to Amarillo sort yeah. of thing. There's a lot of people who grow up in the agriculture community mm-hmm. or parents work for the railroad or something like that. Jazz musicians is a little bit different. <laughs> so t- tell me about your parents. Bart and Jolene Edwards actually formed a big band here, and it was long running. It was called Tiffany Brass, and they played all of the area. They were booked two or three years in advance for New Year's gigs, played Different spots like Marty's. Marty's used to be a, yeah, a, a jazz that. place. They played for uh, T Boone Pickens parties, you know, New Year's parties, Mesa Petroleum yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they were they were a happening kind of thing. What, what kind of what what was the time period that they were most active? Probably seventies and eighties were the most active. Okay, and my mom started doing solo work. Um, you know, she she was a singer, and they separated and kind of went their own ways. And my dad fell ill. And my, but my mom kept singing and all around the area. Where did they come from before Amarillo? Do you, do you know like why they decided to come here? Did they say, well, here's, here's a jazz outpost. (laughs) We'll come out here and and do our thing. No, not exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, my mom actually, all of her family were from Iowa and her dad got a job like a lot of people at, at Pantex. Okay. And so she came out very young and just kind of grew up and met the few little, you know, musicians that were around. And my dad was from Headley. 
Okay. <laughs> so I guess Amarillo was the next biggest, uh, yeah, closest thing. Down the road a little bit. Yeah. But, it, I mean, he did spend some time in New York and, and um, just ended up going back. You know, I guess family and that kind of thing brought him back. But somewhere along the way, they met each other because, they, you know, there wasn't a huge jazz group, you know, right, yeah, social then. social group, you know. So a lot of the musicians ended up knowing each other, working with each other. And, and they were able to, I guess, make a living doing that for several years somewhat yeah not not entirely okay so was it kind of on the side while they did other things or was that like their full-time gig it was well it was meant to be a full-time thing my dad was also an arranger um fabulous arranger and so he had an entire they had a 17-piece band and he had a full library of arrangements that he did that he sold i think duke university still has his collection sold them all over the place so and this is way before the internet and right. you know so it was a little bit a little bit harder to to get just a full library from all kinds of people so um being able to do that actually was was saying something you know and there wasn't a lot of that around so it was a little bit easier but still you know the musician fees were they haven't gone up i don't right. think right <laughs> yeah and they were pretty low then you know do tell me what it was like growing up in a family where creativity and and that sort of that sort of life and output was like part of the bread and butter where oh, you know yeah. you you were artists they were artists mm-hmm. what what was that like as a kid it was certainly a very different childhood things um it's not a 9 to 5 sort it's, of gig it's not. for parents <laughs> no in fact, I mean, it, there were there were just things that were so different from other kids, but they were very normal for for us. You know, having parents that actually played the gig for New Year's was kind of we got kind of a second Christmas, as it were, because um, New Year's Day we would come out and there would be they would get all the balloons and the party favors and hats and everything that they could get, you know, from the from the job, and so we'd have all of that waiting for us. Um, and it we just knew it was going to be there because that's what mom and dad did. It was quite different, and that was kind of a that was a focus for for the family. It was I wouldn't really say not normal because the, I didn't really know what normal for right. everybody else was. Right. And and one of the really good things that I, I appreciated about my mom and dad were they didn't push anything on you, but they certainly let you be who you were going to be. And most of us were artistic and creative, and a lot of that came from just the freedom of being able to do what I was going to do. So. You know, you weren't weird or, oh, man, I, I hope that's a phase they grow out yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> right. Were, were they, like, trying to cultivate an interest in music or anything with you? Or was that just sort of like a, a natural thing within the family? That... I think maybe really early on. Okay. <laughs> My dad might have, don't you want to play bass? You know, don't, you know, um, a lot of us could sing and harmonize, but, uh, and, and actually my older sister and two brothers i have a lot of siblings but um the three of them were actually on stage they sang with the band because okay. they could all harmonize and sing and that was actually really a part of the family i i was one of the very few that went with the visual arts okay but when they saw that that was really more what i was leaning towards i i got an easel for my birthday i got you know things that a normal 10 year old wouldn't <laughs> probably get but watercolor sets and you know if they found uh, a humongous box they'd grab it and bring it home and i'd color all over it or okay whatever so when when did you start to think you know there, there are a lot of kids who get interested in art and they sure. like to paint oh, yeah. and finger paint and color and when when did you start to think like 
this is something I'm not going to grow out of. This is something that maybe mm. I'm going to pursue longer. Do you do you remember that? I think that there probably wasn't a definite point where I said, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to be an artist. It kind of just always felt like that's what I was. And it was more of a progression, I would say, rather than a, a point at which you discovered it. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, most of my, my presents that I got for birthdays, or they were just an evolving amount of art sets, and they just got better and better, and, and I kept going with it. And usually, I mean, that was that was kind of a point of the way I expressed myself. Or if something bad happened, I, I would go right into working with paints or drawing or whatever. Like a therapeutic yeah, it was, sort of feel yeah, for you? That was, that was just the way that I went mm-hmm. with everything. Now, when I got into high school, though, I, I think probably I started, because I had a really good um, art teacher in high school. That was Coach Tom's. Where Tom, did you go Tom, to high school? At Paladero. Okay. So Tom James was, was the teacher there. And he was another one of these that just kind of allowed you to do what whatever you were going to do and then helped you when he figured out what it was. Um, and so I, I started, that's re- when I really probably got into the figurative art. Okay. Because he had bodybuilder magazines and, you know, things that he'd let you take home and, and I'd draw all of them and then come back and get another one, you know. But I started getting into some of the, the contests and that were offered, you know, just the high school things. And it just kept going. Did you go to college after high school? I actually did go to college, but I, I bounced around <laughs> so much. I, I couldn't tell you what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, radio and TV production and fine arts. And I mean, I just, I had all kinds of majors, you know, all the time. But it wasn't until I was, I was in my early 30s that I actually got a degree. Okay. So did you, did you like start at Amarillo College? I did. Or, okay. I did. All of it was at Amarillo College. All right. And then you... Finished up your degree later in your 30s, but what, what was that degree? It was absolutely not art. <laughs> <laughs> is that as far as you want to go no, with it? No, oh, no, no, it's fine. I, my degree is in medical laboratory technology. Okay. So, But I, I ended up going right back into the art. So I do have a degree. It's just... <laughs> have, you, have you ever like used it? I mean, have you worked in that field at all? I, I mean, I started trying I got the degree I had, you know, and st- <laughs> started trying to kind of go that way, but there was just, it just wasn't going to happen. That I, I'm just an artist. That's all there is to it. Okay. So, you know, I've talked to a number of people who are sort of involved in the art community, but nobody mm-hmm. who's like full-time a working artist. Yeah. So tell me what that's like just in terms of how you kind of figure out your path. How do you think, all right, this is what I'm going to do with my day. This is how I'm going to try to earn some income. I mm. mean, how does that, how does it go from something you're good at, something you're passionate about to mm. trying to make it into like a career? Well, for me, that's another one of those, there's not just a definite, okay, it's going this way and now I'm going to take it this way. Like I, I didn't work on it and work on it and work on it. Now I'm I'm good enough. Now I'm going to go and do this. It kind of, it was always that was just what I did. Yeah. That was what I was interested in. I actually I was an illustrator for the teen section of Emerald Globe News, and I started when I was sixteen, and I got paid for that. So that was one of the the teen even my teenage jobs right. <laughs> have to do with art. Um, and I did that until I was twenty two for six years. I started working with Jonas F H Jonas around here. A lot of people know right William. who painted a lot of mm-hmm. murals and signs and yeah. Uh, I started. I was his assistant for quite a while, and he okay. gave me a lot of tips and pointers. And it, I think it's kind of a mutual progression where people find out you can do that 
and they ask if you will do this or that, and then you learn how much to charge or not. And for me, I mean, it, it was a real, it was a real lesson because that's hard to, to tell someone, I'm going to charge you this much to do this for you. Right. At least it is, it is for me. <laughs> but, um, and that was always, that was always a, a thing where I, that I had to work on. Yeah. And I, I don't think I'm good at it now. You well, know, which but. is, I mean, and that's true for any business endeavor. <laughs> sure. I mean, you have to perform a service and you have to figure out how much mm-hmm. that's going to cost and you have to get over that barrier of telling somebody, this is it. Yeah. And yeah, you you have know, to have it requires some it. confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't sort of apologize your way into yeah. getting paid. Well, for a long time, my mom actually served as my manager because she, you know, she did that with their band. She was the MC. Um, she took care of that kind of, you know, the, the business logistics of it. So she kind of was there for a long time saying, okay, you need to do this. You need to think of it like this. You need, you know, because my, I mean, when it really got down to it, I, I just wanted to paint. I just wanted to do the work. I didn't want to have to think about all of that other thing. You know? Yeah. But when you're a teenager, it's a little, it's a little easier until you get to be an adult and you have to pay the bills. And yeah. <laughs> so give people an idea. And I realize this world is always changing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the art world, whether it's online galleries or Definitely, Instagram, yeah. I mean, you're always having to evolve, but yeah. give me a sense of like what art as a career looks like you know, mm-hmm. in a place like Amarillo and, and where those different outlets are, what are some ways that you are getting paid for your work? What are mm-hmm. some ways you're, you know, reaching out to your potential community? What does it look like right now? And, and maybe like all the different directions, you know, that you have to, uh, yeah. to reach out in. Well, that actually, that's a good point. It's, it's multi-directional, I would say. I, I have a website. I use Facebook. I do things locally, private businesses. And once you do, a, you know, for me, I've been doing it for literally decades. So people get to know what you do and who you are and where you are. So some of it is just a lot of time put in. And like I say, I, I do, I have an, a, a website and I, I mean, you, you do your own work, then you take pictures of it, then you put it up and mm-hmm. you say, you know, what about this? Hey, I could do, you know, I don't really like to spend a lot of time just in the commercial part of it. Okay. Because I, I'm just, I'm a painter, and I like to do my own things. But like I say, every now and then you do have to make sure the electricity stays yeah. on. Well, if you're if you're doing everything with an eye toward what's going to sell, you yeah. may not be able to pursue the self-expression part yeah. of art. Or Well, and that, that's the biggest thing. And it actually comes from the, the, the music side. I kind of came up with just, you know, don't play to the audience. Because then it gets really commercial. Your audience is going to change anyway. So just put your real art out there and let them see what you do. And then you get the people that know what you do, and then they ask if you can do it for them. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, like let's say those kinds of commissions, you know, Mm -hmm. where people ask you to paint something for them, is Mm -hmm. is that something that happens fairly naturally here as people see your work? Do they then reach out to you and say, hey, can you Mm do this kind of thing for me? There was definitely a flip. That, That wasn't always a natural thing. You did have to kind of chase them and come to certain businesses and say, hey, I have, you know, I have an idea. Would you like lots of cards going out, you know, business cards, everybody and networking and all, all that kind of thing. But as, as you do get out and I, and I will say social media has helped that quite a bit because that's such a, a huge reach to an audience that you couldn't normally get just walking around. So I, I do now I have people that come to me and say, mm-hmm. hey, I saw this. Could you do that? So it's a little bit easier than than having to constantly chase them all the time. 
Speaking of that, that one of your more prominent um, pieces, at least publicly, that you've done is is the mural at Six Car, mm-hmm. um, which is enormous, right inside the door, <laughs> yeah. fills two stories yeah, almost up and down the stairs. Feet. Yeah. So tell me, um, I, I don't really know the story of how that came about. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you talk about how that collaboration happened well, in the first place? Well, that kind of is the the same story of seeing the art and it leads to something else. I actually had hung artwork at Yellow City, okay. Yellow City Street Food. Which um, the owners of Six Car, right. Scott Buchanan and Colin Cummings, both have um, mm-hmm. you know, a relationship to Yellow City Street Food. Right. And so, I mean, that, that was actually a matter of just getting the work back out there, people seeing it, and then, you know, like I said, it's kind of a progression that leads to, hey, can you do this? Um, they, they liked what I was doing. And you know, six car has a, a real urban appeal. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, really modern and new, and um, they try new things. And I was kind of, I guess, I, I was just kind of bringing art that was kind of like that. It was a little more um, urban. The appeal was a little bit different. They liked what I was doing, so they, you know, that's that's where it kind of happened. What was the relationship between the actual content, the subject matter? And them, you know, with mm-hmm. you as an artist, were you saying, here are some ideas, let's do these kinds of things? Or were they saying, let's try to work in, you well, know, some yeah. of this related to beer making or anything right? like that? How did that work? Well, I mean, I do kind of tend to hold back, say, hey, I got this great idea. What I, I kind of keep my tongue because I do want it when, when it's a business, when someone comes to me, I want them to be happy with okay. it. So I, I kind of just say, well, what is it that you're looking for? What field do you want? What, you know? Their big thing was um, the historical aspect of Amarillo because they're on Polk. They're kind of right in the middle of revitalizing downtown. Um, and there's a, a huge history down there. So that was one of the big things was to work that in was, the, you know, the, the historical part of it. And, and of course, with them being a pub and a brewery, I did kind of work that in with the big field of wheat and barley. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can kind of see that. But it was more towards the, the historical aspect and and one also one of the bigger things was they like the feel of because everything is you know in there you can see is fabricated and hand done and and they like the feel of just when you did things with pure grit and yeah. elbow grease and um so that's where a lot of that character came from including the colors the colors are um, colors of steel and mm-hmm. iron and copper. And, and it's a pretty limited color palette it is. for that mural. Yeah. Just, what, I, I think four or five? I think there's actually, well, if you include black and white, I think there's only seven. So okay. that, that would be about five. Tell me a little bit about the process, just because I know that people outside the art community mm-hmm. may sort of be interested in that. Like, how do you go about taking something that maybe you've sketched out or drawn on paper mm-hmm. and saying, okay, now I'm going to put it on a thousand square feet of vertical wall <laughs> You know, inside a working mm-hmm. restaurant while people are walking by me, walking <laughs> up the stairs. I mean, how mm-hmm. how do you start that process? How long did it take you to, to actually finish start to finish? I, th- I think it was actually about six months Okay, that I did. And, there, you know, there are things that happen in between. So, it, But I think it, it was no less than five months of pure work, including, you know, having to kind of stay out of the way myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want to be in the way of, of a working restaurant. But that was really a great relationship there with being able to work with a business that was thriving because mm-hmm. I actually started when there was sawdust on the floor. And I don't think this, this staircase was even in when I started. Really? Yeah. And so I kind of saw that was a neat view of my own that I actually saw something that was 
from the ground up and then just took off, you know, and people would, would stop by and, Hey, that's that's neat. You you've gotten a lot of a lot further than I saw last yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> so, it, was, it was always fun to go in and see yeah. see how much progress had yeah, been made. Yeah. Did did you sketch it out first and I then did, yeah. like project it onto the wall and then sort of fill in those pieces? Is that how it worked? Yeah. So some of that is I do a a grid, but only when I'm sketching it. I don't I don't want to use a grid on on the wall usually because especially with that one because there's no background color to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to put a grid on that I'm going to have to. Figure out that, you know, make sure that I get it back off because I'm not going to pay You don't want to be erasing a lot yeah, of Yeah, I don't want to be doing that. So, but I only did um, outlines and, you know, then I come back in and, and I, I filled in, a lot of that has big time detail. It's just the colors aren't blended. Right. So it's a separated color, but a lot of deep detail that, that comes how, out. How much of it kind of happened organically as you were painting on the wall compared to like the initial yeah. vision for it? Well, actually, that's that was something that that was pretty neat about that too, because I had the the basic grid and and I used the scale that was a foot to an inch, which was a pretty big sketch anyway, yeah, yeah. because there was a thousand square feet that I was working with. Um, but I had basic ideas, and a lot of that did end up on the wall. But every now and then, I would say, "Hey, what about this? What about that? Why don't we change? You want to change this? I had I had an idea for it. What about that?" And they were really good about, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I could see that. So they actually gave me quite a bit of artistic freedom to to do that because I think, you know, after a while they knew that I was definitely going to stay within their view, I guess. Right, yeah. You know, they sort of trusted wanted. you to yeah. make sure it all felt mm-hmm. in place instead of going off in some Yeah, it was weird, their vision, not, not mine. Yeah, exactly. For, for people who um, maybe only know your work from – from that piece, mm-hmm. could could you describe? Because I I know that like that's not representative of everything you do. I mean, you, you right. do so many different different types of things and subjects. Can you describe what kind of an artist you are? Is is there a way to Ooh. put that into words or to say, here are the things that I'm interested in in terms yeah. of styles? Or I mean, how, how how would you do that? The best term that I could give you, I am a painter. That's that's the very bottom, the very core of everything. I would say I'm a painter and figurative. That's Probably 90% of what I do okay. is, is figurative work. And from there, I mean, everything else that I would do would involve painting. It just, I, I also get into conceptual work. Um, so I don't stay on a canvas. I go into cardboard, mm-hmm. inside, outside, some things that are that are only concepts and they're gone in a day. So that I, I think it's it's a fairly large realm of what I do, but you I think I could stick with figurative painting. Okay. Because I I like I can see some of your figurative stuff and it has more of a classical yeah, fine art feel. That's true. But then you get into, you know, stuff that's a little bit more pop art mm-hmm. feeling, you know, with some of the oh, I don't know, some of the landscapes with, you know, cartoonish types of figures and mm-hmm. stuff on them that that is a very different feel. Mm-hmm. And then both of those are different from like a mural on the side of a business. Yeah, so. that is true. I, I tend to maybe I just have a, a really short attention span (laughs) (laughs) is whatever whatever captures you whatever it is yeah um i do like to try new things one of my my biggest idols is actually david bowie so it's i get that feeling of constantly changing Mm -hmm. so there is even within the canvas work there's there's very classical pieces you know a lot of my influences were mostly renaissance kind of influences with caravaggio and michelangelo and Mm -hmm. and that kind of technique. And then, I mean, it goes into Andrew Wyeth, 
and then it goes into Banksy. Um, so there's a, a pretty eclectic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know? those are not typically side by side. No, in, not usually. In the galleries. They might both be in London, but that's yeah, about as close yeah. as they get. Yeah. Tell me, uh, speaking of of conceptual stuff, um, mm-hmm. tell me about the upcoming Back Alley Gallery show. That one is on the 29th. This is the last Saturday. So this will be the fourth in this. And I, I didn't even know if it was going to be a, a series when I first did it. I just, I thought, let's just try this. Yeah. Um, and this is a one of those aspects of what I've apparently been doing with mixing different things together that were you would probably not think of. It's kind of a Venn diagram if you put a fine art gallery and then street art, the very essence of street art, and you put those two together, that intersection becomes the back alley gallery. So you, And I, I tried my, my best to keep aspects of both uh, the street art, the, the kind of ephemeral feel of it, spray paint, it, and it's mm-hmm. sometimes it comes out very Banksy-ish, but um, just the street art feel, the, the technique of it. And then it's hung with lighting, with gallery lighting along the walls. And there's actually, you know, there's food and beer and <laughs> it's actually a gallery show, but it is in it's, an it's, alley. It's in an alley. Yeah. It's super gritty and mm-hmm. kind of downtown. What? Barely even downtown. It's like sort of toward the train tracks, yeah, it you is. know, yeah. um, the, the grittier side of downtown. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of art in the middle of where things are falling apart. Yeah. How did how did you have that first idea? Had you heard of somebody else doing that in other places, or did it was it just sort of a light bulb kind of thing? I wasn't really coming from someone else's vision of something, but it was um, I I'd started getting into the street art part of it several years ago, and so I thought, well, I'm I'm going to try to put some of this into the more classical things and and mix them together and see what happens. So I actually was just putting street art into canvases or maybe a cardboard piece in a gallery show several years ago. And people actually started liking it because I, I was kind of sneaking it in to see what the what the reaction would be. And some of them actually sold. You know, people were, were really liking it because it wasn't it wasn't really what you were seeing around this area. Yeah. So then I, I eventually had a full show of it of just cardboard, some spray paint, some acrylic. People really like that. So then I thought, well, you know, I I don't like to just separate myself into one one realm. I like I, I always kind of have that feeling of let's let's try to put some things together and see what happens to make something new. So I, I actually tried that where I, I started um, saying, well, you know, this is the street art thing with the, the fine art gallery. And so I I did that with with shows that were inside and in places where you would normally see art. It was just the spray paint part of it. And it didn't really it didn't really work to what I was trying to do because it was still just a, it, it was an art show. It was just okay. art inside, you know, on a wall. So that's still an art show. Yeah. Still sort of had that institutional yeah. feel to it. Yeah, it was just a different kind of art yeah. that was hanging on the wall. And I was trying to still mix the street art part of it, but it just lost the the essence of it when I put it in, hung it on a wall, and stuck a sign by it. So th- some of that was I, I need to figure out how to keep the essence of street art and the essence of the fine art gallery together. And it ended up, well, I, the essence of street art is outside. Mm-hmm. That's that's the soul of it. So the show needs to be outside. And then, you know, the other the other part of it with the, the fine art gallery or with the lighting and, and the real attention, that was the difference where street art doesn't have that attention. Yeah. You know, people don't think it 
important. It's, it's a lot of people just think it's garbage. A lot of people know. don't even see it when no. they're passing by it. No, it's disrespectful. It's you know, it's whatever. But but the, the aspect of the gallery is that art is really important, and everything is for the art. Mm-hmm. The lighting is on the art. The paint on the wall, the you know, the coloring, everything is for the art. The huge attention to the art came from the fine art gallery. So I, I ended up, you know, you just, you come along with, with things where you, you have to figure out how to do it and you just have to start asking questions. How do I light this outside with no electricity? Yeah. Well, solar lights, that seemed to be, you know, the way. And how do I keep people knowing that this is a show and being able to see it? Well, it has to be lit at night and it has to change when the sun goes down. So solar lights were the answer. And I, I... I ended up making, um, that was the other part, to keep it gritty. I got pieces of a shelf that <laughs> was thrown out, and um, that was what made the, the solar lights. And you turn them on, you can't see it. When it's when it's sunny, you don't really even notice the art. It's just part of the wall. Right. Which is kind of the essence and of it. And sometimes there's like other graffiti and oh, stuff yeah. on those walls. Yeah. I mean, that, it's not a pristine gallery space yeah, by any means. exactly. There's... It's a group show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when, you know, when, when the sun starts going down and you start noticing the solar lights coming on, um, you can't see anything but the art. So all of the art is lit up and it, there's a transition period in there. And, and it's actually, there's a wider part of that where you go from when it's, it's bright and everybody's there. You can, it's kind of on the individual itself. And and they do. They take selfies, and you take pictures with it, and you don't really notice where you are. And then when when the light changes and you hit that transition, all of a sudden you're in a gallery. Yeah. And the art is important, but you're big. You're you're, you're part of a bigger thing. You know, you're part of the audience, and you're important. So last year, thematically, was inspired by. Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel yes. figurines, yeah. uh, not figurines, figures, but mm-hmm. uh, spray painted on cardboard. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about this year's theme. This one is is quite different. This one is called Metallica. And it's still, I, I try to keep part of, like I say, there's there's part of the fine art and there's part of the, the street art to it. So part of that, one of the, one of the really big techniques that, or styles that, that you can find is um, making things look completely metallic or made out of chrome. And just doing that with spray paint is, is quite the technique yeah. to be able to get that look. Um, so there's a little bit of that feel that comes from that. But most of what I do has huge novel you know, the novels of, of information behind it. There's a huge story behind behind it. And this one is actually based on the thought of automation and robotics and AI kind of coming in and taking over and even replacing, you know, taking the human out of humanity. So all of these pieces are actually figurative pieces. What you might think fine art, what you might think would be a human kind of aspect, but they're all done to look like chrome okay. or metal. So something that's more of a robot. There's no human in it anymore. Still on cardboard, still or on cardboard. any canvas, or is it? No, it's still on cardboard. They're all they're all um, they ha- they're wired to hang, mm-hmm. but it still has that same feel. And one of the the biggest influences of this show actually came from finding out. I guess it came across, you know, social media somehow. But it 
finding out that Christie's had actually sold a piece of artwork that was done by AI. And mm. I say artwork very loosely right. because I don't consider it. <laughs> may not have been a lot I don't, of thought behind yeah, it. I don't consider that art. There's, there's certainly, it questions the definition of, of art itself to have it done by artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, you know, it spit out this image and was sold for over $400,000. Mm. I wonder <laughs> if that was the novelty of the piece as opposed to the content of it. Yeah, I, I think that was, that. I think that's probably the biggest part of that was that it became novelty. Mm-hmm. It wasn't art, almost something to laugh at. You know, but even with that, even thinking of it as a big joke, there's something really serious underlying where it's so not important that you can have something that isn't even human create, well, not create, but just... Assembling some yeah. colors and shapes. And yeah, it was basically an average. You know, they, they put in, I think, 20,000 images of different real artists, and it averaged it all out. Hmm. And what you got was something that kind of looked like a, a French impressionistic thing, but it was certainly pixelated. You could it had no soul to it, yeah. you know. And it was just all the rage and these, you know, collectors going after it. And and I saw a real seriousness in that. So this whole show is is going after kind of a replacement. Response to that. Yeah. This is, is maybe an odd question, but it just mm-hmm. occurred to me thinking about, you know, whether it's art if produced by automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, compared to art produced by a human, which mm-hmm. has some soul behind it or maybe has some thought behind it or some intention behind it. Right. In the middle is like the art that I've seen that maybe a chimpanzee does <laughs> or that an, an elephant yeah. holding a paintbrush does. Yeah. Where do you where do you That's, qualify yeah. that? Is does that have any more soul than That's a good That's than a good an question. AI produced art or yeah. That's a very good question and I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, even if it's produced by animals, I think it just comes down to the definition of art. What are you considering art? And to me, the biggest point, the core of it, is humans relating to to humans, whether it's 200 years ago or just down the street five seconds ago that you're seeing somebody spray painting a wall. Mm-hmm. It's a connection to humans. And I mean, you you can, if you really pay attention to it, you can see that. Um, in in a, a work that was, like I said, done decades ago, you can still connect to it somehow because there there may be a point in your own life where you say, oh, man, I get it. I, I, it was, there was for me. I, I, I did that with the Chagall just recently. Mm-hmm. I think it can fill you with something that says, you know, you're not alone when you really feel alone. You're, you're not going through this by yourself. Right. You're part of a cycle. So there's actually purpose. It gives it gives grief and sorrow and happiness all of that purpose. So there's a lot of meaning behind that. But when you when you start <laughs> when you give an elephant a paintbrush, you know, and they're just kind of flapping it around just yeah. just like they would do water or grass or you know, I think you start to to lose that that core depth, okay. you know, and, and it it becomes um you know, like you say it just becomes novelty. Thinking about meaning and purpose, um, talk to me about Amarillo as a place to be an artist. Like I, I've, I've talked to a number of artists who talk about the inspiration they get, whether it's from the harshness of the climate mm-hmm. or the wideness of the landscape, or mm-hmm. um, you know, a few weeks ago with Hayden Pedigo talking about just the weirdness of Amarillo itself, mm-hmm. the oddity here. 
what is what is it about Amarillo that sort of um, informs your artwork? Actually, I think it's the social group itself. I don't think people know that there's the amount of talented artists here that there are. Um, so it's actually within the people that I've met, you know, doing shows or going to coffee shops or any of the, the quote-unquote art places that you might be. It's not this same old thing. There's a huge amount uh, uh, and a range of, of what people do from glass blowing to mm-hmm. printmaking and photographers and sculptors. And they're all doing their own thing, and it's fairly unique. So I, I would think just kind of getting your juices going and getting your, your mind working by being able to talk to as many people mm-hmm. that are here. Do you think it's a place that fosters creativity? I think that it can be. I, that's that's one of the things I think there should be a little work on because I, I don't think that the emphasis on specifically the visual arts is is as good as it should be. Okay. And that's that's actually one of the things is um, I think that the individual artist should have a little more influence and importance here rather than always having to be the bigger picture, the great big project. It needs to be in service to something else. Yeah, or... yeah it should be art for art's sake. But we do have a long history of mm-hmm. pretty prominent talent coming through Definitely. this area from yeah. George O'Keefe to um, oh, absolutely. Bugby and, or, or wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even... And I'm not gonna say exactly how many years ago, but <laughs> <laughs> but a few years ago, we'll just say that you know, even starting uh, just a, a small group of artists that wanted to do art with creating Amarillo League of Contemporary Artists, and I was lucky enough to be kind of in that era where they were you know starting, and it was amazingly this little bitty tiny. It almost felt like it, this little speck of New York that came into town. Mm-hmm. With all of these artists doing so many different things from, you know, abstraction to, at the time I was into pop art, you know, and photography and and just all of these really kind of cutting edge things and just getting together and becoming this group, trying to work together and and influence each other and help each other. And that seems to happen, these different phases that that come in and out. I think there's plenty plenty of areas where you can find some kind of backing, you know, as an artist. Mm -hmm. So you're not, you're not constantly the odd man out. Hey, so maybe you've noticed, but suddenly Amarillo has several really great craft breweries. It started with the Big Texas Brewery, and then Long Wooden Spoon came after that, and then Six Car opened, and then Pondicetta opened, and now we've just got a bunch of really solid places to drink craft beer, to produce it. So we figured it was time to celebrate the local craft beer scene. On Saturday, August 3rd, you're invited to the first ever Hey Amarillo Beer Fest at Starlight Ranch Event Center. And it will include craft lines from all of those breweries, along with some of the bigger craft beers from across the state of Texas. Your ticket lets you taste a bunch of those beers. Plus, we'll have food trucks out there. We'll have entertainment. We'll wrap things up with an outdoor evening concert by Fastlane which is an Eagles tribute band. And friends of the podcast, Fine and Dandy, will be opening for them. They'll be out there too. So, Hamarillo Beer Fest, August 3rd. Learn more about it and grab your tickets at starlightranch.com. Okay, I'm back with Rachel Edwards. Uh, Rachel, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those okay. and uh, whatever amount of detail you'd like. Um, and I'll start here. I, I 
I don't want to presume that six car is going to be the answer here. So <laughs> if, if we need to take that off the table, we can. But I want to ask, what's your favorite restaurant yeah, in Amarillo? Yeah, you, you already beat me. You, okay. took, you took my punchline away. All right. Yeah. Yeah, there's this really groovy place called Six Car. Yeah, the artwork is amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It, it's, um, I kind of, I felt that whenever I first uh, met with them, when I first started, and they just really bring a cool kind of edgy urban feel without stepping on toes. It's just, hey, there's a whole new option here. So that that was, I have to be, that that's a, a really honest answer. I, I always have the thought while I'm eating there or, or looking at the menu that if somebody asks me what kind of food they serve, like I don't know that I could describe mm-hmm. it very well because it changes pretty often. Yeah, exactly. And Scott's got a real unique mm-hmm. sort of perspective that it you, you can't say, oh, it's it's this type of food because yeah. it I don't know what it is. Yeah. But it's it's just always good and it's always different. But yeah. different. That's the word. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's so unique different. to the city. Mm-hmm. I I always think that there's always kind of a and I hate to say urban, like we're, you know, I don't think we're just cowpokes out here, you know, wandering around, not knowing right. anything. But, but it is, it's got a very New York kind of feel. It's at least for me, it's it's just different. We'll yeah. just we'll stop there. Okay, <laughs> that's that's a good way to stop. What what's your favorite downtown building? I look at buildings differently. Actually, you know, I I think that when buildings go beyond their normal purpose, and they go into a phase of new potential. That's when I start to really notice them because otherwise a building is a building. So after they maybe outgrow what they initially were built for and then start to. Yeah. There, there's uh, you know, probably completely graffitied up and Mm -hmm. have their own botanical garden (laughs) growing. You know, (laughs) I think at that point there's, um, there's kind of a potential for something new. And, and when I, when I see imagination has a lot of room to come in, that's, that's when I start to like them. So I actually like, you know, there's a, there's a few of those around, but um, especially by the train tracks. Okay. Uh, so some of those like old warehouse yeah, types of exactly. places. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different things you can do okay. around there. You see them as, as maybe a canvas or a place to start yeah. something different. That's, that's not they're, necessarily. They're an entirely new concept now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what does this area have too much of? I'm going to answer this as genuinely as I can. But tersely. Okay. I do think there's still some good old boy politics that kind of go on, and that's where I'm going to leave it. All right. So <laughs> I'm not allowed any follow-up <laughs> questions to that one? That's about it right there. Okay. <laughs> then we'll go to the next question. What does this area not have enough of? That's actually something that, that we just hit on. I, I don't think that there's enough attention on the arts, specifically visual arts. And what I mean by that is the individual artist. Like I said, it, it it tends to constantly be the the bigger project, mm-hmm. the bigger picture. Um, not that that art for the city is. I'm not saying that's bad, but that tends to be. That's when it becomes the arts. Is when it's for the city. Um, I think if you focus on individual artists, you'll get that automatically. It's kind of like if you build it, they will come. You yeah, know? that that's kind of the kernel that everything. Yeah. Kind of grows from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if you if you really provide a place for individual artists to thrive and back them and sponsor them, you will get incredible art. And there's a lot of artists around here that are super talented. What does that what does that look like? I mean, is it is it more we need the gallery space? Do we need more like one on one patronage? Do we need more 
Well, you know, you know, I mean, that's a good question. It 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 depends. With, with me, I find an, an alley that I'm good with. You know, there aren't a lot of. I don't. I don't really want to say that there just isn't anything here, but I think maybe we kind of get in a rut as to what we constantly want to see, mm-hmm. and it tends to stay the same. So people that are different from that maybe go somewhere else. Okay. Um, so maybe just in the uniqueness of doing it, opportunities is is always a good thing. I know that. Um, one of the big the big places at Sunset just recently closed, or, or they're going to be closing down. Maybe just when with something like that, just think of ways to somehow get that back. Uh, we talking about buildings. We have a lot of buildings around yeah. here. Yeah, some place to sponsor something like that where you're you're looking at the individual. Okay, how do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? I would say that they're big enough to be a city, so they're growing and kind of booming. And small enough to keep small town values. Okay. They kind of have maybe the best of both of those worlds. I've, I've heard something along the lines of that mm-hmm. uh, before, but do, do you think the the small town values part, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times people think of art as as sort of pushing, mm-hmm. you know, the, the limits, whether it's the limits of That's true. The, the rules for polite society or, or whatever. The artists are sort of always pushing, and small town values feels to me like something to kind of hold on to. Yeah. Is there a place where those uh, sort of bump against each other? Uh, you know, I think probably because, you know, when you re- get into the arts, you you're, you have things where artists go into places that aren't comfortable. They explore things that you, you're going to question. Um, even with, you know, nude shows, mm-hmm. um, some people may think that's not, that's not where we should go. It's not small town. It's not. So it, I, I think it will... Every now and then you do get that where it kind of butt heads a little bit, but maybe maybe it's just uh, you have to look at the definition of, of what small town values are where it's mm-hmm. it's more just being welcoming to people, um, giving someone a chance to, to hear what their story is rather than just constantly putting everybody in a little box and that's okay. where you're supposed to be. When was the last time you went to the Big Texan? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I was a kid and I don't. I I honestly can't recall exactly when that was. Okay. So, so long um, enough ago that you don't really have a, yeah, a real solid memory. It of was it. a while. I'll, I'll right. say that. Yeah. You haven't taken any out of town guests by there or anything like that. No, I haven't. I haven't done that. <laughs> what's uh, What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? This is another another uh, odd one. Um, I I love to chase storm photos, so mm-hmm. that's some, something else I do on the, kind of on the side. I would say photography is kind of on the side, but um, when the weather gets really turbulent, not so much flash flooding, but um, if there's possibilities of of tornado potential there, I'm out in it. Mm-hmm. So that <laughs> that's actually my favorite weather. This has been a pretty active year for that. It, it really has. Yeah, there's been some really nice photos and uh, lightning too. I love lightning storms, so really, really turbulent weather. And the the last one, what's your favorite local coffee shop? Every coffee shop here, you you know, locally has a wonderful menu. They all they they have a a uniqueness to them. But I would say as as far as appreciating one for being uh, behind the arts and and really moving it, that's definitely the eight hundred six. Okay, you know, from not just saying art is wonderful, but having shows and sponsoring music fests and, you know, even, even open mic nights. Uh, that's, that's absolutely the 806. Okay. Okay. So that 
concludes the eight straight questions. Rachel, I'd like okay. to uh, close by asking my guests to endorse something. So okay. what's something locally that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I'm going to go back to the individual artists. Okay. I'm, I'm going to endorse them big time because Amarillo just has an incredible amount of super talented artists. And you you might have to look for them, you know. So if you do see some kind of some kind of art show going on or so really go out and, and support them. Um, you might be really surprised at what you find. Are there any particular artists you want to name by name? Oh, uh, that, that's or another one. Or is that too hard? <laughs> do, do you, do there, you need to tread carefully with yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, well, actually the thing about it is, is there, there's so many different artists, you know, that do, doing different things. There's not just painters. There's not just acrylic. There's not, there just is a huge amount you know, a, a wide range of, of different artists. So it would be really hard. You know, I, I could name them all day for you. It <laughs> would make the episode a little too long. <laughs> yeah. Rachel Edwards, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Jason, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. It's fun. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Rachel for the interview. And you can see her work at Rachel Edwards with Paint. Dot com. She's also on Facebook. Definitely look up the Back Alley Gallery event on Facebook and head out there this weekend. It's just such a cool environment, a cool show. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the podcast every week and to Hey Amarillo's team of supporters and executive producers. These include Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Wilson Lemieux, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, and Chris Selda. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.